0: Ever since chemists began to manufacture substances that nature never invented, the problems of water purification have become complex and the danger to users of water has increased. As we have seen, the production of these synthetic chemicals in large volume began in the 1940s. It has now reached such proportions that an appalling deluge of chemical pollution is daily poured into the nation's waterways. So wrote Rachel Carson in her groundbreaking book on ecology and pesticide use, Silent Spring in 1962. The book brought about a new awareness of the perilous situation of ecological health in the face of widespread and large scale use of pesticides, compounding the impact of existing industrial and radioactive wastes. Silent Spring is largely recognised as kicking off the modern day environmental movement, but more than half a decade on, has this awareness brought with it the necessary action to protect people and the environment from the dangers posed by agricultural chemical use? A new report, Pesticides in Australian Waterways Overview, released by Friends of the Earth on September twenty-seventh, reveals that the problem is a lot larger and less understood than we may think. You're listening to Earth Matters, I'm Michaela Stubbs. Today I speak with the author of the report, Friends of the Earth's Pesticides and Toxic Chemical Spokesperson, Anthony Amos, and Dr Alison Blaney, a Tasmanian GP, who's been working with the Toxics Network to raise awareness and action on the effects of industrial pollutants. First up, Anthony Amos.
1: For some time um, I've been researching uh, impacts of pesticides on waterways and I've uh, been struggling to, with a, a lot of sort of non-information and misinformation. But essentially the idea of this report came down to um, the, the National Health and Medical Research Council, they're based in Canberra, they publish a, a document called the Australian Drinking Water Guidelines. Now in the guidelines there's um, a series of chemical fact sheets, so there's hundreds of chemicals that are listed, Um, and with pesticides they listed, I think it was about 150, but what I was concerned about was that um, the pesticides that I'd been finding in terms of freedom of information requests and various uh, scientific reports, many of them weren't listed in the Australian Drinking Water Guidelines. So what I attempted to do was collate all my information into one document which unfortunately took about nine months' work. But, I, I mean, I feel happy that I've done it because it, it's out in a system. And then uh, I, I we collated um, basically the um, most prevalent uh, pesticides, where they've been located, in what amount. And then we've um, uh, written up this report, which includes the pesticides in the Australian drinking water guidelines, and many that we've found that weren't in the Australian drinking water guidelines. So the goal of the report essentially is to get the NHMRC to grant guidelines to a host of of chemicals that uh, haven't got guidelines at the moment because from their stance, um, they essentially don't know what's coming down the waterways um, because in Australia there's no... Uh, a government body a state or federal that actually has a responsibility for um, determining uh, pesticide loads and also what 's being used where so in terms of drinking water if you 're a drinking water authority uh, what do you test for um, because there's no 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 real data out there that, um, so essentially the water authorities in many instances are more or less guessing to what chemicals could be coming down their catchments. And the NHMRC is guessing again in determining what should have guidelines and what shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that was essentially why the report was, was written. Um, and, yeah, I finished it in September and, I th- and we've sent out a press release a couple of weeks ago to announce it to the um, mainly uninter- uninterested world out there. But anyway, it's out there, so I'm happy it's out there.
0: Mm. Oh, no, it's brilliant. What were some of, the, some of the standout things that has been uncovered by putting all that information together and mapping it in this way?
1: Well, what we've um, what we found, or what, what I found, I should say, is that in the data I've got, there's 186 pesticides that have been detected over the years in Australian waterways. Um, now, they, they've been uh, located in about 3,500 locations uh, ac- across the country, um, but the results are skewed because many pesticides aren't tested for at all, or if they do, it's sporadic testing, uh, so the data is very patchy. So that's why I've sort of subtitled the report, a jigsaw with a billion uh, missing pieces, mm-hmm. because ultimately uh, we'll never really know what what has been uh, coming down the water supplies. For instance, organochlorines have been used since the 1940s, but there was bugger all testing done until about the 1980s. So there's 40 years of data that no one will ever know. Um, So anyway, 186 pesticides. So um, the most frequently detected pesticide, uh, it's a a herbicide called atrazine, which a lot of people uh, might have heard uh, of. Um, that was uh, found uh, very regularly, as was another uh, herbicide, a closely related herbicide called Simazine. Um, so they've been detected uh, both widely, r- right down the coast of Australia, from Queensland to through to Tasmania, over to Western Australia. Uh, you know, essentially, from what I can determine, these... These, uh, these two herbicides that will be basically... I'd I be surprised if there are many waterways in Australia where they're not being found. Mm. The issue with atrazine is it's a, what's known as an endocrine disruptor. A chemical castrator is another name. Basically converts testosterone into estrogen and um, it's been linked to all sorts of um, uh, sexual abnormalities in animals. Such as frogs, and uh, there's about seventy animals that it's been found to be interfering with the hormones. If it doesn't kill the animals outright, what it actually does is it, it weakens their immune system, so and then it makes them more vulnerable to predation by bigger animals. So there's been a lot of work done in the U.S., and the levels we're talking about where these uh, endocrine problems can emerge are 0.1 part per billion. So in in an easy language. Um, if you imagine an Olympic swimming f- pool full of water, if you get an eyedropper and you take one tenth of one eyedrop and drop that into the Olympic swimming pool, that's that would be equivalent to 0.1 part per billion. So, so these are tiny, tiny amounts, yet can play havoc with um, with the health and well-being of of wildlife. And um, in Australia, the drinking water guideline currently for atrazine and simazine is is 20 parts per billion. So it's 200 times higher than what the levels that we've seen to be impacting on, on, on the endocrine function of various animals. And you've got to wonder if that is also happening to humans as well. Mm-hmm. So they were the main, um, uh, the main two. Um, and they're in a class of, of chemicals called triazines. And the triazines accounted for about 30% of all detections Uh, in Australian waterways so um, another thing about Atrazine it's um, made by a Swiss company called Syngenta and it's not allowed to be used in Switzerland the Swiss government just won't allow it so they export it and they um, use it in you know on a lot of uh, cropping situations particularly in the US on corn Uh, So atrazine simazine will weigh up. And then um, the next interest one is a herbicide called diuron. It's mainly been controversial because of its impacts on the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, A lot of the sugarcane farms, there's a lot of runoff that goes into the reef and there's been a lot of work done up there with with measuring um, the quantity of diuron that's going into the reef and potential uh, impacts on the reef. So uh, that one's been studied quite um, qu- quite quite closely uh, diorons also uh, found in high levels in the Murrumbidgee catchment up in up in uh, central south new south wales there 's been some massively high readings there I think that 's mainly uh, there 's a lot of irrigated uh, land up there and rice rice cropping um, and uh, diuron has been detected in Smith Street just in the the CSIRO did some studies in about 2006 mm-hmm. of stormwater around the country and um, yeah, they found it in Smith Street just up the road from here. So God knows where that's coming from because you're not allowed to use it in the city. So it, um, these very low levels are probably coming in as spray drift. Mm-hmm. So from a farm somewhere, it gets caught up in the hydrological cycle and it returns to earth hundreds of miles from its application point so yeah, diuron, then the next one was uh insecticide called purfos very nasty to aquatic uh, organisms and uh yeah look there's a host of 186 but yeah the the main ones we're worried about are probably atrazine simazine diauron but uh there's a, there's a heap of of, of other uh, of other chemicals as well and what we found was that out of the 186 that have been detected. Basically, 41% of pesticides that have been detected don't have Australian drinking water guidelines. So that's quite interesting, really. So it just shows you that the um, NHMRC have been blindfolded and perhaps they threw darts at a dart board which had chemical names on it, and that's how they worked mm-hmm. out which ones would get guidelines and which ones wouldn't. So 41% uh, don't have Australian drinking water guidelines. Um... And and another aspect was 21% of the pesticides that do have Australian drinking water guidelines have never been detected at all, mm. which makes you wonder, well, why did they spend time giving those particular pesticides guidelines when these more common ones that have been detected um, haven't got a guideline? The major focus was was on drinking water. So whether or not people are, are drinking this stuff, that's another question. In many catchments, you'd imagine it's there. In many areas where people are pumping directly out of creeks or got rain tanks, you'd expect them to be having a, a some sort of chemical cocktail. In the bigger towns where the water's treated, the likelihood is, is less that they'll be drinking this stuff, but it's a possibility that's still there, depending on what treatment process that is used in the towns. For instance, you know, Melbourne's water supply, when they pump out of the Yarra, the 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 water treatment process there was never designed to filter out pesticides, so um, how many other towns or cities across Australia are really um, playing with fire? There has been some uh, studies done on the effect of filtration systems on and reducing atrazine levels in drinking water and it doesn't get all of it um, but as far as the health authorities are concerned in terms of atrazine if it doesn't if it's below twenty parts per billion. No, no problem. And we're saying, well, hang on, 0.1 part per billion could be the, uh, 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 the problematic level.
0: You're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR and heard around the country thanks to the Community Radio Network. We're speaking with Anthony Amos from Friends of the Earth about his newly released report, Pesticides in Australian Waterways Overview. We'll hear some more from him later. Here's Dr. Alison Blini to talk about some of the health impacts of that pollution. You've worked in the area of health and the effects of pollutions, especially from pesticides and, and other industrial contaminants to our water, for 20 years, is it?
2: Between 15 and 20, yep.
0: Tell me about the main health impacts that you've been seeing.
2: Well, I mean, the thing is, it's very hard to say direct impacts. So a lot of the um, effects are sublethal, meaning they don't kill people directly, and the effects are often seen maybe 5, 10, 20 years later, and sometimes even next generation they're seen, and they can affect everything from um, people's uh, reproductive system, uh, inflammatory system, so that's things like autoimmune diseases, allergies even, it can affect their cardiovascular system, It can affect um, their metabolic system, so things like diabetes and obesity and, of course, uh, things like like cancer.
0: I understand that a lot of the chemicals that are, are being used, the companies are not required at the moment to prove that they're safe to enter our drinking water and so on. What comments have you got about that situation?
2: Well, unfortunately, our, um, our, our knowledge or the way our regulatory bodies are using knowledge about pesticides and a lot of the toxins, biocides, that are being put into our drinking water and, in fact, being used in our environment is very old science. So modern science tells us that combinations of very small-dose pesticides in, in cumulatively or, or in summation, are more dangerous than individual pesticides. So that's point number one. Point number two, the sublethal effects are wide-ranging and very long-lasting, and can be in many cases have been shown to be transgenerational. That's point number two. Point number three is that most of these pesticides were uh, given um, regula- were allowed to be used by the regulators with very limited chemical testing, very limited in the way of of safety data. And in fact, they had to show that that there was no harmful events rather than that they were safe to use. So in fact, many of the pesticides, in fact, most of the pesticides have not been shown uh, to be safe. They haven't been shown that they cause no harm. They haven't been shown that they don't cause sublethal effects. So here we are in this day and age with all this knowledge around us, not much of it international knowledge, but knowledge all the same. And our, our regulators are not keeping up to, to date with uh, current scientific knowledge. The other point I'd make is that in Australia, because we've used other scientific knowledge, most uh, non Australian knowledge to, to, for our regulators, most uh, of these chemicals have not been tested against native. Australian fauna and fauna. So we have no idea really of the consequences of unleashing this wide range of pesticides in our water and our environment on, for instance, our marsupials.
0: Tell me a little bit about the work you've been doing with the Toxics Network.
2: So we've been uh, trying just to keep an eye on what's going into, you know, our basic requirement, which everyone needs, um, It's called drinking water. And unless you have safe, non-toxic drinking water, we're really all at risk from a wide variety of uh, diseases and illnesses as I've, as I've described. Obviously, the main, one of the main um, uh, risks is um, infected drinking water. So that's the, what we call the, the coliforms in our water. But increasingly... Uh, toxins are seen as uh, causing a major problem with uh, water being non-safe. And that ranges from um, pesticides, it ranges from heavy metals, it also covers things like um, disinfection byproducts. so that when organic material comes down in waterways, and in Tasmania especially, our rivers are short, um, and... Nearly all our catchments are, are um, used by forestry or agriculture, so they have a high organic content. And when you add chlorine to that to try and disinfect the water so we don't get the coliforms in our water, guess what? They form disinfection byproducts, which are known to be carcinogenic, and those are in our water supplies. Um, and then we have things like um, the legacy left by mines, um, all the, the, the contaminants from those which are leaching into our water, and of course, of late, we have the problems with um, some of the sites around Australia, which are, are leaching the results of using um, toxic um, firefighting foams and solvents into our water. Then, of course, fracking raises its ugly head again, and the problems with contaminants in water from that. So there are many issues that are to do with the safety of our drinking water.
0: Are there many people in the health field that are concerned and talking about this?
2: Unfortunately, it's an area which tends to be divided between, you know, uh, the Department of Environment and then there's water bodies that are responsible for the water and they then sort of report to um, the Department of Health and then the Department of Health have special areas where they deal with drinking water and... I think it tends to get lost in the in the back rooms, as it were. It's not something that's front and foremost in people's minds. About is our water safe, or, or what's even in our water? What are we actually drinking? What is in our water? But unless we protect the clean, safe water that we have now, we're going to be in increasing problems. Not only the cost, the the, the health costs, but in fact the economic costs of trying to make contaminated water safe again. The economic
0: costs are huge. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Earth Matters.
2: Thank you. I appreciate being asked, and
0: thank you. That was Dr. Alison Blaney speaking about health and pesticide pollution on Earth Matters, heard across the land on the Community Radio Network, and you can find out more about her work and the National Toxics Network at ntn.org.au back to anthony amos and the report pesticides in australian waterways overview
1: um the other thing we did with the report is that there's also uh, ecological guidelines out there that have were last published in 2000 the, they're called the anzac, anzac guidelines for fresh marine water quality um, so they were an attempt at the time to work out, okay, well if we've got these particular chemicals in the water, at what level do they have an effect on on freshwater or, or marine organisms? Now, when we looked at the 186 pesticides that we found, we found that um, only about 11% of those had ANZAC guidelines. So we're really flying. If the water authorities are flying blind, then the ecological impact of what is coming down the catchments is largely unknown. And if you consider that there's eight hundred uh, separate uh, ag vet uh, chemicals in use in Australia, uh, only three percent of them have guidelines under the ANZAC guidelines. So we've got a situation where the agricultural industries have been able to get away with this ongoing pollution for decades and we really don't have uh, a system in place which can adequately uh, deal with with the pollution or or properly understand that in the last few years the scientists are doing the best they can and there's some very good initiatives that have been started up, uh, particularly in Victoria and in Queensland they're doing really good work on the reef uh, but by and large australia as a whole it 's just not uh, it 's not factoring in the the, the the power of the chemical and agricultural lobby um, is quite mind blowing really when when you think about it and a, a lot of this data has never been released publicly so effectively the the pesticide industry a whole cone of silence surrounds the the entire industry if you do have issues with pollution or or um, spray drift. Often the issue is caked in secrecy because it goes through the courts, so the court processes and the the legislation don't allow much of this information to come out in any form, so the public is entirely uh, unawares largely about what's going on. So that just uh, compounds the problem, I guess.
0: And so what alerted you to this in the first place, and maybe just mention... How long you've been working on this issue?
1: Uh, well, I, I first got interested in about the well, mid nineties. I sort of started being a bit more interested in this sort of I- issue, mainly the impacts of um, of tree plantations and water supplies. I was I was forest campaigning at the time, and um, everyone was pushing the head with these plantations. I was saying, well, hang on, they're they're heavily heavily d- doused with chemicals. They're in drinking water supplies. What data's out there? What, what, what? And um, we started digging around a little bit, and there was a bit of work being done in Tasmania at the time, and there was a um, report there, and it and it said that um, there was atrazine levels uh, at about a hundred, I think it was a hundred and seventy-three thousand parts per million, which is like that's huge. But in around '94, uh, some Friends of the Earth people at Laurina in Tasmania. Uh, we had a faux group down there. They got atrazine in their drinking water, and they were raising hell about it. So I started, you know, I was sort of on a similar wavelength yeah. to them, and yeah. So I started documenting. Then I didn't get into the FOIs, so I started FOIing um, water authorities back in about the mid two thousand. So I've slowly been collating it, and mm-hmm. and I thought I'd purge it out of my system into one one report. And you know, anyway, look, I'm I'm probably eighty percent happy with it, but.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. always a work in progress, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and so what do you hope that people will do with this? And, yeah, if people are listening and really concerned, what's the best way for them to take action?
1: Well, the best way to take action is to understand it first, I guess. Um, and if it seems t- too large and too confusing, um, this report will, might be an easy way to start. It's, not, it's It's been written in a pretty simplistic way. It's, an, it's not a scientific... Uh, manual. um, Basically, you need to know where your water supply is drawn from, and you need to understand what are the land uses occurring uh, above where your water supply is taken from. Then you need to know what chemicals are allowed to be used on that land use, and you also need to know what sort of filtration is available at the water treatment plant where, where you live. And if you can if you can chase all those rabbits down those rabbit holes, well done. But essentially, if I was in a community and I was worried about drinking water, focus on atrazine and simazine to start with. I, I think um, we really need a push to get this stuff uh, stopped being used in Australia. The um, pesticide regulator up in Canberra, the Australian Pesticides Veterinary Medicines Association, they did the review of atrazine about 10 years ago. Simazine, they promised to do a review on simazine to get, and usually through the review process, then there could be restrictions on the use. But they've been stalling that one for about ten years. So I guess it's it's mainly education, and and we just need a, a push. You know, if you're in a rural area and you're worried about atrazine, maybe start lobbying to get the farmers to to quit using it. And the main point there is if they can't use it in Switzerland, where it was invented. Why on earth are they allowed to use it here? Uh, the other thing is, if you've got key key animal species or you know threatened species in your waterways, uh, really start lobbying on 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 this one. And ultimately, it'd be good to see like a similar campaign to what happened with the coal seam gas, because everyone was all worried about the pollutants from from the coal seam gas but there's a uh, there's a bigger issue that's been happening for 50 years that everyone's conveniently forgot about or you know so there's a few of us still out there and we still remember rachel carson and people should realize that the environment movement really got started through her work in the 60s that was that was the catalyst to a lot of this stuff Uh, a lot of us even working on these issues so yeah
0: thanks so much for joining us on earth matters thank you And you can find out more about the work of Anthony Amos on the Friends of the Earth website, foe.org.au forward slash pesticides hyphen and hyphen toxic hyphen chemicals. And also check out the interactive mapping site, pesticides.australianmap.net. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy, Victoria, on the lands of the Wurundjeri of the Kulin Nation, for which sovereignty has never been ceded. Earth Matters is broadcast across the country thanks to the Community Radio Network and thanks also to the Community Broadcasting Association for their generous financial support. Thank you to Anthony Amos from Friends of the Earth and Dr. Alison Blaney from the Toxics Network for joining us on today's show. And I'll post links to their work on our Facebook page. You can contact us on earthmatters3cr at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter, Earth Capital M Radio. If you'd like to listen to the podcast of this or previous shows, you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash Matters. Please join us again next week for more local and international environmental news. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.